Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. If you knew last time we were together, I asked you what's the first brand you remember making an impact on you as a child, and you said, actually, it's an interesting answer, it's Singapore Airlines, because you flew around a lot. Yes. Now, I'm going to ask you the same question. You can say the same brand, but is there another brand that comes to mind as a young boy growing up that made a difference in your life, made an impact? Uh, yeah, Singapore Airlines is truly, I would say, uh, super important because it did. They, they were my coaches through travel, and I remember them very fondly, and they're number one airline again this year. So, yeah, I, another brand I could give you is Cadbury's. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I was in boarding school as a as a as a young kid, and and we got a little uh, allowance uh, every month to be able to buy things like you know chocolate, and so Cadbury's is always one of those things that I remember and associate with the early part of the month when we could actually afford it. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years. I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO podcast is Vinu Vijay, the EVP and chief marketing officer for Truist, a top 10 U.S. commercial bank serving 15 million customers across the U.S. in 2,100-plus branches with assets worth a whopping $545 billion. Truist is a new name for two banks that became one. SunTrust Bank and BB&T announced a merger in late 2019, and in 2022, the combined entity fully became Truist. It's an unusual story, which we will get into. Vinu was a guest on our show in 2020 when he was the CMO for H&R Block. This is Vinu's third CMO gig. For H&R Block, he was CMO at TD Bank. Vinu was born in Indonesia, schooled in India and the U.S., and has worked most of his career in financial services. This episode was recorded in late August during the next-gen CMO program at Deloitte University, an amazing training and development center outside Dallas. Each year for the last eight years, Deloitte has invited high-potential marketing leaders from a variety of companies to gather for three days of inspiration, training and reflection. And speaking of reflection, this is my conversation with a guy who once took a few years off to go to the beach and reflect. This is my conversation with Vinu Vijay. Now, we recorded our last podcast on Zoom, and it was actually in the early days of the pandemic. So we were all getting used to that platform, that technology. But now we are in person, and it's so nice to be in person here at the Deloitte University Next Gen CMO Academy. And I know you've only been here about a day, but has there been any person you've met or presentation you've gone to or experience you've had or panel discussion that has been meaningful to you? 
it's it's all been fantastic. I mean, the reality is that what I found just in the last whatever eight or eight hours or so I've been here is I'm just surrounded by people that I would want to spend time with. They they have experiences that are similar to mine. They've been in 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 roles that are similar to mine, and they have so much insight and judgment to give and and just converse in a way that's really a lot more authentic than maybe you get on an average day. And so I've. Uh, uh, I've really enjoyed it, and I, I don't want to embarrass anybody by starting to name names, but but it's been fun, and they know who they are. The networking is so good. Yeah. And uh, and, and cheers to Deloitte for making time for it. Yeah. We're getting a lot of time to meet other people and share experiences, yeah. and yeah. Uh, and it's, there's nothing yeah. better. Indeed. Indeed. Now, you were in a different company from when we talked about two years ago, and you moved pretty soon after we did that podcast. You went from H&R Block to Truist, and when we talked, I thought, this is a guy that's kind of in his groove at H&R Block. You seem to be have a purpose, a great team. You're serving a wonderful need. So what compelled you to leave what seemed like a pretty good gig at H&R Block <laughs> to this uh, really interesting job yeah. you're in now, which we'll talk a lot more about. But what compelled yeah. you? Going back two years. Yeah. Well, I don't it? know if there was a compel compulsion in that way that you're describing, but I do appreciate you saying that we were in our groove. And I think there's... You know, that's ideally what we all find in every job quickly is that we find a way to, you know, create the meaning that we want to create mm -hmm. in the role. And, and, and I definitely think that I got a chance to do that at, at Block. And, and, and certainly there was a lot of awesome things about it that I would never give up. And, and, but you know as well as I do that, you know, CMOs have the, the worst level of, of continuity at the C-suite than anybody else. Yeah, it's like half far. of what a CEO yep. is. So I think I may have brought the average down a little bit, but not by much. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> on, that, on that role. And so I think, I think you know, I don't want to, you know, there's, there's no point in sort of looking at what the history was, but what drew me to Truist is, you know, I, I had one chance in my career to build a new brand from scratch, and that was the Ally Bank brand. Mm -hmm. And it was one of the great moments in my career and my life is being able to explain a new reason for existence, both internally and externally. And I think what we have with Truist is a similar scenario, except scaled. Because all of a sudden, you have a, a two medium-sized banks, which now combine into one much larger-sized bank that has a physical footprint, 20,000 branches, a whole lot of employees, uh, all looking for the fresh meaning of what it means to be a Truist employee, what it means to be in the marketplace as Truist, and how to transform an industry that, frankly, could use some transformation. Mm -hmm. So so there was just so many things about it that I thought, it's really what I was built for that drew me to the job. We're going to get into that in a big way, but I want to reflect uh, on one other thing about our podcast two years ago. You said at that time, and I love that I remembered it to this day, yeah. that a key driver of customer delight and satisfaction for customers of H&R Block was a genuine greeting. Yes, Yes. And I thought that was just a simple, powerful thought, and I've used it with others yeah. since we, we chatted two years ago about this. So I want to know, does that concept that was behind that also apply at Truist? A hundred percent. I mean, so we actually did, and, and thank you for remembering that, because I, it, it's, you know, when we run client experience, you start to imagine that the secret sauce is something incredibly complex that requires a whole bunch of technology, five-year lead times, and a level of insight about the future of the client that is really transformational. And the truth is, it isn't any of those things. I mean, maybe that would be great. And, yeah. you know, perhaps, you know, the next Steve Jobs will be able to do that. 
but I'm not that person. Most people aren't. You know, what we can do in our scenario is look at the practical reality of what really drives somebody's experience to be genuinely feel good about it. And it's true for what humans have. Like, you know, when I greet you, when I speak with someone else, when I remember your name, when I engage mm -hmm. with you, that makes you feel good. That makes me feel good. And that truism is true whether you're, you know, sitting in a conference room or whether you're sitting in a bank. And, and so, that, you know, that, that, was the, you know, that was the truth at H&R Block, where if, you know, the, one of the real joys of the engagement that both the tax professional and the, and the customer had was seeing each other after a year and saying, hello, and how are you? And how was the year? And how are your kids? And what's changed? And that's, that's an interesting sort of reflection moment. And in banking, 100%, you know, we did this survey where we listed, here's 10 things that we think we can do that would be client-centric oriented, experiential oriented, and what we think the impact would be. And we asked our teammates, and then we asked four different sections of clients, ranging from pure retail all the way to commercial bankers and corporate bankers. And the two insights were, number one, there's no difference. Whether you're a teammate or a corporate banker, your desires for experience are almost identical. And number two, near the top, it wasn't the top, but near the top, was just greet me. <laughs> Recognize who I am and greet me. And that truth is true whoever you are. Wow. What other things were near the top? Just curious. Yeah, I, the, the biggest one was be on my side. Yeah. Like a, like yeah, a client wants advocate. to know yeah. and a teammate wants to know yeah. that you're actually on their side. And that, that loaded up to number one. Now, the, the challenge with that one is, how do you deliver that in a way that's authentic? And that's actually the work we're doing now is to try and figure out how to deconstruct that question into very specific things we can do that signal, you know what, we are on your side. In fact, we did one thing, this is in my past at, at Ally that I, that I did, that was grounded in that idea. It was a very simple concept. And the concept was, if you have money sitting in your checking account, it's probably not earning a lot of interest because checking accounts don't yep. earn a lot of interest. And so what if we created a sleeping money alert? And the sleeping money alert essentially advises you of money sitting idle in your account that could be earning more. Now, that's good for us because if you move it into a CD or savings account, you actually get money locked in longer. And it's good for the client because they're not wasting money mm -hmm. on not getting the best interest they possibly could. So a win-win scenario that is in fact a reflection of client at the center, that we're on their side. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. Now, your role at Truist, I want to move into that which I think it's super interesting. And to me, I know you had the Ally Bank experience, but this seems to be a first mm -hmm. for you yeah. and maybe a first for any of us. You're, you're CMO of a company that is, the, that is two banks coming together. Both were found in the 1800s, which I, I didn't know. Yeah. I mean, these are yeah. really old, old institutions. Yeah. Yeah. And so you form a new entity. 
you have a completely new name. So I don't know, I can't think of many situations in history where there's a, a scenario like this. So yeah. I want to ask you to take us back to when you took this job. Yeah. And this was all just unfolding as you took the job. Right. You didn't have a playbook. You know, you didn't have a template. Yeah. I mean, there's templates and there's playbooks for lots of M&A, but not quite for something like this. You likely took some lessons from Ally to this, is my guess. But I'd like you to take us back and walk us through how you approached it, how you, your role as a CMO is probably different from others you've had in the past because yeah. of this situation. Yeah, it's a it's a great question, and and uh, and so let me let me deconstruct a few of the parts of it. When when I joined, the company had named itself because the Truist had to sort of present the name to the regulators and say we are now Truist. But there was a lot from there to why are you? Mm-hmm. You know, what's this about? And and I, that was super exciting to me. So I was like, you, you, I get to help our company define itself in the marketplace and to each other in a way that's really differentiated. So that was a very exciting draw and opportunity and still is mm-hmm. because it's, you know, it takes, it takes years to get that to happen. And the, the, I think some of the route you said the company started in the 1800s, but there's another component of the companies that was really, really attractive to me. The CEOs of both companies that merged were and are passionate about purpose. I don't know that's something close to you as well. And I don't hear a lot of CEOs say that with legitimacy. And both of these CEOs did. And, uh, and there was a sort of a, a planned uh, succession between the two CEOs. Mm-hmm. And so I knew now and in the future, we as a company are going to be committed to purpose. Now, being committed to purpose uh, is great on paper, really hard for a marketer to translate that in a way that people believe. But what an opportunity, right? <laughs> you know, and, and so those are the conversations I had early on is how do you explain and get people to really understand that we mean it? We're not kidding. When we say build better lives and communities, we're not kidding. How do we do that? Uh, how do we do that in better images? How do we do that in different propositions? How do we do that in real experiences? How do we do that in strategic choices the company makes? It's all of that. And, and that is what, you know, when I would think about that moment, that's when I was thought, this is definitely worthy of a next iteration of my life as a CMO. Now, as you thought about this new purpose and the name, which, which, which no, one, no one was aware of, really, right. when yeah. you joined, yeah. how much did you look at the heritage of the two companies that came to you? Both purpose-driven, both yeah. CEOs purpose-driven, yeah. long history, different equities. Yeah. But how much did you look at the heritage of the individual entities to kind of construct mm-hmm. the new platform that yeah. would lead to behaviors and actions across the organization? A lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, we did a few exercises. One of them was we looked at what are some constructs of being a disruptor brand? And, you know, there are some standard constructs that you can sort of look at. Are you a missionary brand? Are you a, are you a, a, a new kind of digital-oriented brand? You know, what, what's a construct that sort of fits your space? And what are the ones available that sort of exist in the ecosystem that you can cheat from and look at? And, and so we started there, and we, we took a hard look at that and tried to sort of understand the choice set. Then we said, what is the, the real truth about our company? What is the honest-to-gosh truth about us as a company? And the honest to gosh truth about our company that we literally put on as here's one sentence that encapsulates the truth about our company. And the truth about our company is 
we genuinely want to be purpose-driven. Not that we were, but we want it badly. It's in our DNA. And that's a great place to start. The second truth we looked at is what is the truth from an industry perspective? And the industry truth that we came up with is functionally, banks give you everything you need. There's really, you know, there may be some minor differences between the utility of one digital mobile bank functionality versus another or one branch versus another. But practically, functionally, you get pretty mm-hmm. much the same thing from every bank. But no bank, whether it's big, medium, or even a community bank, creates any emotional equity with its clients or customers, which is shocking considering yeah. we're talking about money. Right. So that's an open white space. That's a white space that is readily available that could be driven from purpose. The other industry truth is hiring and retaining talent is harder and harder and harder and harder. And in a business where we have a lot of client-facing talent, having a proposition for our teammates that made sense and reinforced their own values was incredibly important. So when we looked at all of that, we said, well, then we need to really lean into our purpose. And within our purpose, there were some minor differences between the two companies. One company would use language that's more mission-oriented. Another company would use language that's more outcome-oriented. But fundamentally, they came from a place that was about purpose. And we translated purpose into one word, care. And the logic of that translation was, if I talk to you about purpose, it kind of sounds like I'm talking to you about my nobleness. But if I talk to you about care, Mm. it makes it easier for you to recognize that what I'm really talking about is your experience. How do you feel about my purpose in action? If you feel cared for, I feel like I've done my job. And care is a big word. Like it's a small, small word in terms of matter, yeah, but the big yeah. word in terms of potential. Yeah. It's not the huggy kind of care. That's not the care we're talking about. The care we're talking about is that I'm paying attention to you. I'm putting your interests at heart. And I'm finding every possible way I can within the control that I have to make that easier for you to engage with me and to have success in your life. That to me is intentional care. And so we said, well, when you start with care, you should get a different kind of bank. And that was our first tagline. So we began out in the market, we said, that's our tagline. You start with care, you get a different kind of bank. It's almost a tagline for ourselves mm-hmm. to remind ourselves why we're here and a promise to our clients of what they should expect. And that's where we began. How do you talk about your purpose? I mean, how do you talk about it with employees, with customers? You know, do you have a, you talked about a slogan or a tagline, yeah, yeah. but what... How do you present it to people? So there's a couple of ways. On the internal side, what we've tried to do is say every individual in the company, we want you to understand your personal purpose. And we actually have our own version of this, although this is much nicer. We have a leadership institute. And the role of the leadership institute is to have our teammates recognize and document their personal purpose. And the reason we do that is is twofold. The first is we know from... Uh, leadership teachings, that people are able to break free from their habits that might be degrading their comp- their capability and their outcome if they know why they're doing it, mm-hmm. if they're clear about their purpose. And so that was sort of one sort of clear reason, hey, we have employees who just do better because they understand the why for themselves. And then the second reason was if I have a personal purpose, then I'm going to find a way to connect that personal purpose to the enterprise purpose. 
And if I can't, I will opt out. And that's great because what we want are employees who understand why they're there and understand why they're there in the context of why the company is there. So that's one big way. And so we've really, really emphasized personal purpose. We do videos of people talking about their personal purpose. We share it on our internet site. Uh, in fact, our advertising right now actually is, uh, is essentially about teammates' personal purpose in action. And so we have put a lot of emphasis on that. And then from a client perspective, I don't know if we found our groove yet. You talked about finding the groove. You know, we're still working on that. Mm-hmm. Um, because from a client perspective, what I've challenged the team and myself is we have to find distinctive visual and verbal ways combined with real, mani- real differences that we can back up that show that care in action. And that's where a lot of my work is now is client experience strategy and brand strategy in the context of how do you visualize and talk about something that a lot of people will yawn at because they think they've heard it before. Mm-hmm. Now, is your goal that every employee goes through a personal purpose exercise? Yeah. Yeah. That's ambitious. Yeah. You have a lot of employees. We do. And, and it doesn't have to be the full class. I mean, there's, right. there's four-day classes. There's, yeah. there's sessions. But yeah, I mean, the, the, the intention would be this is something that we should all embrace and share. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMO succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. So you've kind of landed on the purpose space. Employees are going through their personal purpose. You're starting to talk about it's, it's not coming together quite yet with the client in all yep. the ways that it needs yep. to, and that's a complicated. But this whole area of purpose activated yeah. and coming to life in daily work, in behaviors, in uh, what's rewarded. Yeah. That's a complicated task. And the best companies in the world who are purpose-driven struggle with it. Yeah. And so I'd like you to talk a little bit more about what you're learning as you're on that journey about yeah. activation, how it comes to life, and even how you think about how do you know you're making progress. Yeah. Measurement's a part of it too, yeah. but how yeah. do we measure this? Right. Without being yeah. overbearing. Yeah. Excellent questions and comments. Uh, you know, I, I, here's some observations I would have and that I, I'll close with how we're thinking about measuring it and how we are measuring it in some ways already. The observations I would have is, yes, it is hard and it only works if the CEO is totally behind it. I've been in a lot of meetings where if the CEO hadn't pushed the pedal down and said, this is happening, it may not have happened. So yes, you need that. And without that, I think it's going to be super hard. I think you need to have a strong, clear voice. I think the marketer has to be a champion of purpose and have a strong, clear voice on that because it is something that needs repeating. Mm-hmm. You need to say it over and over again and get people to really understand the impact of it and the meaning of it. Um, and so you know, we have tried to do that within our organization to really be champions of it. The other thing I would say is anecdotes help a lot. Like uh, one of the anecdotes I've used within the company, which I, I think is absolutely true, and, and so that's why I think it resonates. Do you know a, sh- a store called Chick-fil-A? Yeah, sure. So I said we need to be the Chick-fil-A of banking. Mm, it's good. It's a good metaphor. Yeah. And the logic is very straightforward. Mm-hmm. 
Chick-fil-A knows who they are. They're very purpose-driven. And their per-store sales is higher than McDonald's. They're not the biggest. They just perform better. Now, who wouldn't want to be that? <laughs> and, and there's a power in that. Because the other thing that I think is really special that I think we're working towards is clients of Chick-fil-A are champions of Chick-fil-A. Mm-hmm. How many banks can say that? And I think it's a missed opportunity. And so, so I think the, the point is just simple anecdotes helps the company see themselves and pursue their purpose in ways that are you know, needed in order for it to sustain over years. About measurement, how, are you, yeah. how do you know you're making progress? Yeah, so we have, we, have, uh, we have a couple of ways that we measure. The first way is uh, actually a broad measure of all the ways that we're caring. And I, I'm not going to give the name of it because it's actually not mm-hmm. fully released yet. But, but the, the idea of it is actually it's an internal measure. And what we're trying to do is make sure that everyone in the company, from the person in the operations center who is managing the mortgage uh, file at some nth date in the process, understands the impact that they're having on the client's experience and through the client's experience on our purpose. And so one, one is a heavy, broad measure that allows us to link and make, tell stories about purpose in action. And that's actually just in the process mm-hmm. of uh, kicking off. Um, and so that's an important one, I think, for us to, to have on bo- the books. Uh, the, the second one is in terms of organic growth. Because the reality is, you know, when, if you think about helping inspire and build better lives with our clients and communities, what is the proof of that? Well, that they want to do business with you more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, yeah. so, you know, the, the relationship depth is something that is a very clear measure of outcome that we look at. Same as Chick-fil-A, right? Same as More loyal customers. They that's spend right. more there. They come more yeah. frequently. So that's good. Now, what about you've you've had experience and purpose, right? Yeah. At H and R Block, at Ally. Yeah. Uh, this has been a long. You've been been a, a believer for yeah. a long time that purpose drives growth. Yeah. And purpose attracts talent. Yeah. So you're a pretty experienced CMO in this space. Tell us what you're learning new about the journey you're on with Truist. Any leadership lessons that have been new for you or reaffirmed as you've been on this journey over the last two years? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a super question. Um, I would say the thing that I'm so fixated on right now is client experience as a manifestation of purpose. And I do think that's a gap that we've had because when, when we've talked about purpose, at least in my past, we've tended to gravitate towards giving and engaging in the community. And that's certainly a super important part of purpose. It's a tactic of the purpose, yes, right? Yeah. It's an execution of the purpose. Right. Yeah. It's not the purpose itself. It's not the purpose itself. So if I want to have my clients have better lives, that takes more than giving in the community. That takes the client experiencing something different in banking that they're not getting otherwise. And so that really grounds in, in experience. And that experience is, is not functional. There's an added element of trust and emotion with that experience that signals to our clients, we've got your back. You know, you don't have to worry about this because we actually have your back. That is where my mental energy is right now. And and I do think that's an unlock that we haven't seen a lot. You know, we've been very technical about it. 
So where we have had great experiences, we've said, well, because you know you have the Adobe stack and you can provide personalized experiences and you can create many variations. And so it's right message, right time, right client, right experience. That's all technically very good, but I don't know the intention behind it. And so if I don't know the intention behind it, I, you're still not catching me on the emotional level. I'm now deconstructing your deconstruction of me. You know, I understand what you're doing with my data and I'm, I'm okay with it, but I don't love you for it. And I want people to understand my intention. And that's a harder, that's a harder bet. But that I think is an unlock that is coming. And brands have an incredible role to play in that. So now we're going, I think, if, if I think about the ecosystem of banking, I'll, I'll take a little bit of a sidebar here, but the banking industry, you know, started with this whole thing about safety. So the visual image I have when I think about banks from the start, was, or you would have, or our listeners would have, is the big, thick walls that behind which are your money. Yeah, the That's vault. the bank. The vault, yeah. The vault. Well, that evolved, clearly, because actually there's very little money behind the vault, uh, into the 60-foot towers with your name on the top. Scale. That was the name of the game. You know, we give you scale. We're big and therefore expect a lot from us. Again, not unimportant, but not where we are. I think that evolved to digital ubiquity, which was partially associated with client experience. Digital ubiquity is everywhere. That can make phenomenal things happen in banking with your money. I mean, it is amazing today what you can do with your mobile phone. It truly is amazing. And, and we should celebrate it as an industry. And we are lucky as consumers to have that. That has happened. But I think we're in this different world now. And this different world we're in is the world of the why, which is I now recognize that my life is not going to be better just by digital ubiquity or experiential functional experience, but by how I feel about you, how you feel about her, how she feels about me. And our interconnectivity and the life we live in that interconnectivity is where our happiness really comes from. And so in that connected universe, the brand starts to matter much more. The why starts to matter. And so I think we're in that era in banking where you have to wonder, why does this bank exist? What is their intention? And yes, I see the digital experience or the overall end-to-end -end experience I get, and it's functionally phenomenal. But what can I believe about the experience I'm getting so that I buy in emotionally? That, I think, is where we are. That's a big one. And any insights as you strive for that? I mean, that's... It's, it's not an advertising idea. It's, it's, it's rooted in, I think, the behavior of everyone yeah. who brings the brand to life. So yeah. any insights that you're reaching that would help others who also want to be on this journey so people understand their intentions? Yeah. Well, I, I don't know if it's an insight as much as an observation that maybe your listeners will have more insights on. Think about the amount of micro brands that are showing up. Why do they exist? Technically, you don't need them. Mm -hmm. They exist because we as consumers have decided that that why matters. And now I want to understand the intention of the brand before I purchase from the brand. In fact, that's one of my motivations to purchase from the brand. And I'm giving a lot of equity to it. And again, that intention is not necessarily noble. It's just I want to understand it. I want to know the story. And so if that's true, I would challenge our listeners to say, how well is your brand's intention understood internally and externally? 
And if we can't articulate that or you can't articulate that in clear terms and have it be consistent across the organization, there's no way your clients can. How is this job different from the ones you've held before as, as a head of marketing? I mean, you're talking about this, this company in a, in a very passionate way, in a very committed way. So how is your work as a CMO, how you spend your time different in this job versus the others you've held? Um, I would say, first and foremost, I am different. Hmm. <laughs> if that, yeah, more so than maybe the yeah. job is different. I'd say I am different because I am less fearful about success. I think one of my lessons from my past experiences as CMO is it's very easy to judge yourself by success and failure as the, as the you know, job defines it. And the problem with that is that your behaviors or your actions or your intellect or your abilities don't change based on that success and failure. They're just markers. And there's no amount of success where you will look back and say, oh my gosh, I was successful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or no amount of failures that will necessarily... So it's, it's I think the, for me, the way I've, I have sort of internalized it is said, I want every moment that I have to be a moment where I am bringing and imbuing a little bit of joy, a little bit of happiness in myself and in whoever I'm engaging with. And if I can just add up a bunch of those, that's great because that allows me to live in the moment and I'm not going to let the successes of or failures of outcomes dictate how those moments feel. And so maybe that's the change that I've had. Mm -hmm. Now, practically in the world... In what the precipitated yeah. that change? Um, failures. Uh, and a recognition of how much could I have done differently or what should I have done differently and then recognizing that that's not actually what made that experience the experience I had. The experience I had was about the moments, the people, the engagements. That's what I remember and that's what I value. Mm -hmm. The rest of it is just noise. Yeah. I remember in our last discussion that you talk about walking away and taking some reflection time, yeah. kind of the classic, I went to the beach to think and <laughs> reflect. And one thing, the reason you came back into yeah. the job you're in is that you love working with energetic, positive teams. Yes. That's when you're in your zone. 100%. I, I, yeah, you're, you're right. I, I, I left the workplace. I, I was uh, you know, much like you, but not at the level you were at. I was the CMO at TD Bank and I... I loved my role, I loved my company, I loved my leaders, I loved my teammates, I, I just loved the job. But there was something missing in it for me personally from a purpose perspective and I, and I decided to retire. I was in my mid to early 40s and uh, spent several years at the beach, <laughs> as you said. <laughs> Lots of reflection. <laughs> Lots of reflection. Lots of waves. <laughs> exactly, uh, which I absolutely loved. But yeah, I missed... I, I recognized that what really gave joy in my life was working with people that I liked, doing things that were interesting and fun, and seeing success in their eyes, you know, just mm -hmm. seeing the experience they have. And I've been fortunate at, at, at Truist to be able to hire people that I have lived, known and worked with for many, many years and, and, and have them be part of this journey. And that's been fantastic. I want you to comment on two sort of current hot issues. And the first one is the whole hybrid work environment we're going through now. Yeah. Remote, come to the office, how do we do it? Everyone's struggling with, with it. There's no success model. There's some people who are figuring out better than others. But I've heard you say that your workplace is so damn inspiring. Yeah. You go every day because you want to be there. Yeah. <laughs> 
So I'd like you to shed some light on that for us. I mean, why is it so inspiring? Yeah. Why do you want to go every day? Why is this a very different work experience than you've had in the past? Yeah. So, so some tactical things about it. We, ha- we built this new office space. So we got to design it as a team. And so that office space is designed with our direct you know, input. In fact, the team's direct input uh, from the furniture to the, to, the, uh, to the, we have a giant hello in the front that's full of flowers and to that design. We have our own in-house studio that we developed so that we can um, uh, shoot video and uh, do all of the exec comms directly from our floor. Um, and, uh, and we have a graphic design studio. So it's all, we built mm. it. So that's part one. And, uh, part two is we, we made the ex- experience such that, you know, even that beautiful space is no fun if you're there alone. That's just the reality. Yep. And, uh, me and, and some of the leaders and some of the key diehards would be there every day, but there were not enough to get that, that, that real feeling of like, we're here together to do something special. So we instituted a, hey, let's make Tuesday our day. We're all going to be there on Tuesday. And that way we know when we're there, everyone's there. And so we started that way. And Tuesdays have become a blast because, uh, because you get to see everyone. Uh, you get to engage in the hallway. Uh, now I have people from the rest of the company coming down to our floor to see what all the hubbub is about because there's actually human beings all together doing things. And, and so I don't know if it's something particularly special or you know it's not like we have a fancy tech or something like it's not that it's just uh it feels very personal to us and it's you know the people so you you all come in together tuesday and i assume that day you're not looking at emails no you're together you're doing meetings you're coaching you're having creative time so tell us how you spend the tuesday yeah, yeah. In fact, the office is designed in a way that nobody has a desk. Uh, it's, you know, it's all mostly conference rooms. Uh, and the conference rooms are designed with comfy furniture. You know, it's designed for us to talk mm-hmm. together. And that's how we spend our time. <laughs> so Tuesday morning is my, uh, the leaders get together first. Uh, so me and my leadership team. Uh, and we do essentially free flow. So we don't have an agenda. We just meet every uh, every Tuesday morning and people just talk about what's on their mind. Uh, and we allow the conversation to go where the conversation goes. Uh, that way, no one feels any sort of tension to either follow through on an agenda, fill the space with things that, because it's on the agenda, mm-hmm. um, and not have open, honest conversation. We start the day that way. Uh, then we have our, uh, our, our gating uh, day is, uh, is on Tuesday, which is essentially uh, we go to the, one of our largest conference rooms uh, and we look at work together, um, the entire team. And uh, we comment on it. We talk about it. Not everybody does talk, obviously, because then nothing would get done. But I want everybody to hear it because I want people to get a sense of what we are valuing and what we like and what we don't like and to celebrate the people who are presenting and talking about the work. Um, So we spend uh, a couple of hours uh, doing that. We have a little coffee shop and a little lunch shop uh, that's just two stories down. So people do it down there. Sometimes they'll leave the building, but mostly people just stay in the building. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, <laughs> I wish there was a secret sauce to it. There isn't. It's no, just, but you know uh, what yeah. you're doing there, though, by bringing a large group to look at work, the kinds of things you're putting yeah. out into the market, yeah. you are role modeling and you're coaching through example. And that's what I think the risk of, 
of total remote is is I learned so much as a young manager growing up in meetings watching people more experienced than me how they handled situations uh, n- new campaigns new product introductions a, a delay in a schedule for an important initiative how is all that handled yeah. and I, I watched very intentionally and you know we had lots of great formal training at PNG but it was watching yeah and and the role modeling that happened around me that I think helped me evolve as a leader. And that's what you're doing Tuesday. Yeah, I, I think it's spot on, Jim. That's exactly how it was for me gr- uh, growing up in, in marketing as well, is I, I, I looked at my, my leaders, my colleagues, and, and the more I could be sitting in the room and hearing, the better off. And so yeah. hopefully we're passing that on. Yeah. The other area I wanted to talk, get your perspective on is, you know, if you look at macro trends in our industry, certainly agile working yeah. and agile work processes is yeah. a big mega trend. And it's not stopping, yeah. it's growing, and it's getting real scale in terms of that's the way we work. Yeah. And it's a real different way to work. Yeah. And I know you've had experience in it, and we were having, having a discussion a few weeks back about you really have to change how you lead. Right. And the questions you ask and how you behave as a leader. So I know a lot of our listeners are probably wrestling with this. Yeah. And I know several of the companies I know are wrestling with this. So talk a bit about that. Yeah. And how you have evolved as a leader as you worked in an agile workflow. It's the hardest change for me personally, and I suspect for a lot of people. And it's because as, you know, I think we tend to think as leaders that we have the best judgment. And so, you know, my historical way of doing things was, you know, you guys figure it out, show me the work, and I'll give you my judgment. The problem is, well, that's not how agile works. Um, agile is, you know, using the collective judgment in that facility, in that moment, in the context of the client's experience, uh, usually. And so you, you as a leader have to let go of that quote unquote decision-making authority mm-hmm. and say, you know what, the decision-making is no longer mine. It's this agile team's decision-making accountability. And our job, my job becomes a lot more about allocating resources and inspiring teammates to bring their best work into those agile teams. And so it leans a lot more into leadership and a lot less into functional efficacy. So, so I, I find my life is very little about marketing hmm. and very much about human relationships. And I think that's what we all have to get accustomed to in an agile workflow. How did you make the adjustment? I think I was generally more biased anyway to human relationships, mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. was, that part was relatively okay. But giving up my authority on marketing was hard, for sure. And, and I probably still struggle with it. Um, and so I have this effort that I have instituted called Brand Precision, which is I get real frustrated when I see something with the truest logo that I just don't think is excellent. And, and I think we had this conversation mm-hmm. when I last spoke with you. I, I'm really, really a stickler for precision in the way that the brand shows up in any moment. I don't care which moment, how small or big. And so that will bother me. Sometimes I'll see it and I'll be like, oh my gosh, it's just not good enough. And, and it, if, it, if I only had a process by which I could see all these things, I would have stopped it at some point. The problem with that mindset, and I have to keep reminding myself is, A, I'm not that smart. So you know, my judgment is not necessarily the right judgment. And B, I'm not everywhere. So, you know, I, I will only be a block to progress if that's the way that we solve it. So my mental model that I've tried to shift to is what do I value as my own successful contribution? 
And if I value my successful contribution as I'm the brand insight star, then we fail. But if I value my contribution as I'm going to help us make your powers more powerful within the company, that's something that is useful to the company and to my team. And so that's how I've tried to recast my own sense of contribution. Now we're going to flip into the creative brief. And because this is at the Deloitte University, yeah. at the Next Gen CMO Academy, and we were talking about leadership all week, I want to focus this on leadership. Yeah. My first question, what do you feel is the most important leadership characteristic of a great, successful CMO? Uh, the ability to inspire teammates. And, and I simply think it's because we have jobs that are way too big for us to put, even contemplate doing ourselves. And my team is 300 plus. I suspect when you were CMO, it was like 1,000 plus. Yeah. I, you know, how in the world are we supposed to imagine that our influence is any more than how we get our teammates to think and behave? It's huge, especially when you aspire to live a purpose. Yeah. Right? Yeah. What leader or leaders in your career have had an outsized impact on your development? Yeah. Um, so you asked me this earlier and I, I flubbed the question. So this time I won't. <laughs> You're not going to flub it. You've had time to think. We spoke in a panel for our listeners earlier today here at the uh, Institute at the Academy. And, uh, and we talked about uh, lots of leadership topics. And that's one where you were a little bit stumped. Yeah, I was. So, so I, I, I'll give two examples to sort of sort of things as I, that I thought through. Uh, one leader that I, I really think set my pathway right, and I mentioned the name in the panel, is Jim Liskey. Mm -hmm. Jim was my first boss. He made me a manager. I was maybe 23 or 24 when I was at FedEx. And I still use Jimisms today. Um, and, you know, you, you, you learn a lot about what makes a great leader from, I think your first leader has a mm -hmm. big influence. And Jim was my first leader, and I was fortunate that he is a fantastic leader, and that helped a lot. The second example I'd give is there's a leader uh, at, at, uh, who was at B of A when I was there who uh, was a boss's boss's boss, so was much more senior than me. Uh, and we all thought this person was going to be CEO of, of Bank of America because he's amazing. He's an amazing leader. And uh, a very soft-spoken, very generous, very authentic, brilliant and for whatever reason, and in corporate life that happens, he didn't become the CEO. And he retired as a very senior executive, but not as the CEO. And as he moved into that phase of his career, he watched as other leaders who were much more junior to him developed and grew and became his peers and then became his boss. And that happened, which happens in career lives as you get to that point in your career. And what I admired so much about him even more, I always admired the guy, but that what, I, what really took me over the edge with him is how he managed himself and his peers as that happened. And he was full of the same grace, mm -hmm. the full of the same personal dignity that I had seen as a young person growing up. And I knew that that is somebody I want to emulate. When I am at the point of my career where I'm not growing, I'm only growing others. And I, I want to be able to be as authentic and giving as he was. Those are great stories. And we, I want to reflect back at uh, my days at P&G. We had a lot of data that showed people who did very well at P&G had a fabulous first boss. Yeah. So we put a lot of intention into new employees and who they, who was the boss for a new employee. 
and it was a privilege to be to be uh, have a new employee to the company in your group because it it just said that we believe in you we believe in your results and we realize that our company's future is dependent on first bosses right so it's a very right. powerful concept yeah. for everyone yeah. listening i mean it's it's so it will uh, do everything to propel a career to set someone on the right track if the relationship with the boss is terrific yeah. So I want you to reflect on leaders who you think you made an impact on. If you could think of one or two who you've had an outsized impact on and why. Yeah, it's it's a little embarrassing to call I myself know. out as an influencer of others. Um, but I, I, I'm grateful that by the first time I was a manager, I had a team of five. This was at FedEx. And we have remained close since, two of whom have worked with me at B of A, and one of whom who works with me now at Truist. Um, so a long-standing 30-year relationship. And I think that I'm grateful for those uh, moments because it, it just tells me that, you know, I have been authentic and true because if I hadn't, someone would have called me out in 30 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We talked today earlier about the power of influence outside your function. And as a leader, as a successful CMO, you really do need to have an impact outside your function. You have always believed in that. You've always lived that. And you've been very good at that. Could you offer a bit of advice or tips or an approach to do your job well? You need to lead the function, but also to have an impact outside your function on the company at large. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the challenge and opportunity of every CMO because we define our own jobs. And, and, and so that would be my first guidance is don't limit your own definition. If you define your job in narrow terms, then that's what it'll be. Um, and so what I've tried to do every time is put a circle around what is the company's material opportunities and what, where do my skills intersect with that material opportunity? Set aside my job, mm -hmm. that, that, that's the day job. And if, if, if I see my ability to create stories around that will help move us in that direction, then that's what I'm going to do. And over time, people just believe that's your job. Uh, you know, it's just, it sort of follows the suit because if you're doing it, then that must be your job. And so that's what I was encouraged is don't, don't be afraid to define the job bigger but don't do it in a way that's about saying, this is what I control and what you control and let me draw the line. Because as soon as you do that, you've already failed. There's no line, there's no line ever. It's more about where do you think you can contribute and don't be limited by where you think you can contribute. It's in a very powerful point you're making. Most CMOs don't realize the extent to which they can mold the job. In fact, when I was offered the CMO job at PNG, I went and interviewed every living CMO who huh. had had the job and every CEO who had been a CEO at P&G over time. And I asked them about the job. What is success in the job? What should the role be? And I got different answers from everyone. <laughs> so I, my insight was I need to figure out what the company needs and mold the job around that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So anyway, last, last question. We're at the Deloitte program talking about leadership this week. What leadership experience are you looking forward to over the coming year? Is it a, a destination, a meeting, an event? Yeah, uh, I am actually starting, I'm starting down the path of more consistent meditation. And I'm hopeful that brings to me a different level of 
understanding of the point I made about success and being in the moment versus success. I, that's something I'm really keen on learning more for myself and practicing through meditation to get to. So that's so. I hope in a year, if you ask me back, I bring a different level of uh, competency in that area. You are a meditator now, but you want to be a more yeah. consistent meditator. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I am a meditator now, but I just don't. I'm not consistent enough. And the way you're going to tackle that is, uh, I'm I'm literally forcing it into my daily schedule. Mm-hmm. I try as well. I'm yeah. also inconsistent, yeah. but I do really benefit from it. Yeah. I think it helps my creativity. It just does. Totally. Yeah. I so mean, I we'll see. Yeah. That. We'll see. I'll, I'll tell it's you a year from now how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Vinu, this was terrific. And congratulations on the last two years. I and mean, we had a great discussion two years ago at H&R Block. This one, I think, is uh, built on that. And, uh, and in terms of leading an organization with purpose, I think you're up there among the best. So thank you for your inspiration. Thank you for your role modeling. This is a fabulous episode and I'm pulling for you and the entire team at Truist because I think you're onto something that is very powerful and could help shape the industry. Jim, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to talk to you again. That was my conversation with Vinu Vijay. Three takeaways from this one for your business brand and life. First takeaway, this was a clinic on how to bring a purpose to life on any brand. Vinu is a purpose believer. He's had experience in many brands. And the way he took us through how they thought about creating a purpose from these two old banks that came together to form a new entity, how they're bringing it to life with employees and with customers, how they're trying to find a way to bring it to life in the customer experience, the importance of care, and the importance of everyone understanding the brand's intention. Second takeaway, the CMO job. Vinu talked about how we have the great potential to mold the job, to shape the job. Don't limit your definition of the job. When he came into Truist, he said, what does this company need and how do I mold my job around what the company needs to reach its potential? Third takeaway, customer experience is often about the simple things. We talked about people want to know that you have their back, that you're an advocate. They want a genuine greeting from you. They want you to care about them. So we have lots of technology to make customer experience really, really personalized. But don't forget, it's the simple things that make a difference in people's lives. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.